Welcome everybody back to the Mandal. Oh, fuck off. It didn't make any sense. Grammatically. Welcome everybody. Paul is back to the man. Like, no, it's just it's either welcome back or welcome to the Mandalorian, but that doesn't make any sense. Hey, it's fine if you're having a performance issue. We won't hold that against you. Yeah, you need to leave this in as well now for comedy value. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Welcome everybody to the Mandal. Oh, fuck off! <laughs> do, do, you, do you want me to do the actual introduction? But is that? Oh, I'll, 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 I got it. I got it. You would make a tremendous corpse in a play right now, wouldn't he? So. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the Mandalorian pod here on the Rogue Opinions podcast feed. Been a long road and we're finally here at the finale of season two. Arguably one of the best, if not the best episode in the entire Mandalorian back catalogue for lack of a better word. But this is going to be the last time we really talk about an episode of Mandalorian for what seems like a long time if you count, unless you count the Big Boba Fett later this year, which has been described as Mando season 2.5, but you know, we're not going to get a new episode of Mando for a long time, so, you know, let's really delve into uh, this episode and savour it while we can. And joining me, as always, is the Bo-Katan to my Costco Reeves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, yeah, I'm surprised you're making yourself Sasha Banks there, uh, Scott, but... <laughs> well, I, 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 I too tend to attract a lot of weirdos. <laughs> and podcasts with them mostly. And, and talking about such things <laughs> smooth intro I love it thank you so much Scott <laughs> yeah and I could compare him to really any character in Star Wars but he's not as big a fan of Star Wars as uh, we are so I'll just say he's the third member of the Coscarese Bo-Katan uh, trio that was introduced a few episodes ago and was so boring they didn't bring him back for the finale uh, Samuel Preston. Wow, I, I felt that deep down, almost, almost like a bit of a Bascar spear straight through me. Um, I at least put the effort in into finding out what my Star Wars name was before I came, came up to this podcast. And it turns out I should be called Jeweler Sand Skimmer, which I really doesn't feel <laughs> makes any impact or is impressive at all. But it does say I'm a troublemaker from Heshkor. So that could be a reference you guys might understand uh, whilst I just stumble through thinking, who's that? What's that? And where is this coming from? Do you, do you, know, do you know how I, I sort of see Sam? I see Sam as the, the iced tea to our team godfather at <laughs> WrestleMania 2000. 
that means I'm the most successful out of all of us. And now I probably <laughs> have a 20 year career on a really cringy Law and Order spinoff. So, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Do not talk bad about SVU. Hey, SVU was good when it was about SVU, not when it became all about Olivia Benson, which is pretty much any time in the last 20, uh, 12 years. Honestly, the, that absolute disrespect I feel from this man. I invite him on this podcast. He asked to come on an episode and then talks about, you know, well, Sam, explain for the, the, the people listening, uh, explain for the listeners what your fandom really is, what your attachment is, of any, to, to Star Wars and, like, how much Mandalorian you'd watched before, you know, preparing for this podcast. And do bear in mind, I have a week's holiday booked in August, so, you know, keep it short. <laughs> I will never guarantee that whatsoever. I hope you're strapped in for a 124 minute runtime, uh, which I think is otherwise how long a new hope was. Um, I am going to be very controversial here and say I'm not actually a Star Wars fan. Uh, in fact, I think the original trilogy is mostly bad. Okay. Well, it was nice having you on, Sam. Um, <laughs> Carl, <laughs> well, he is just taking your tail to taking his dick out and just pissing all over it. Oh, the pissing has only just begun, I promise you that. I could even go in detail on my thoughts on each film, just to really annoy you. Uh, that, 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 yeah, well, we haven't got 75 hours, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. uh... <laughs> this, this is probably what's going to really convey it to you, right? When everyone said that The Force Awakens was just a remake of A New Hope, I went... Oh, you mean it's a good version of A New Hope? Ooh. Just throwing that out there. Because for, for me, the first original trilogy is mainly filled with uh, cringy characters, painful dialogue, and stodgy direction. It's only really the less George Lucas is involved, the better it will be. He comes up with great ideas, but his actual execution usually isn't that great. And that's why... The Empire Strikes Back is probably one of the best one of the entire series, film series universe, because it's the one he's least involved in. The more he gets involved in the original, in the prequel trilogy, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean that's, not, that's not exactly a hot take. I mean, I think we just, I mean, discussed that a few episodes ago. I said that the I main issue with the prequels and the success of the original is that it gave George Lucas too big a confidence in himself and that's why he was so heavily involved in the prequels and we saw what happened there yeah i mean i even had a bash at delivering some of his world-class lines and uh <laughs> we, we know how that went <laughs> your bath is in the mail carl any day now. <laughs> i actually remember in university i'd uh, bought a, a vhs copy of the original trilogy uh, for like a couple of quid uh, because obviously nobody wanted it anymore um, and I decided to do a Star Wars day watching them and pretty much the majority of the film uh, all three films ends up consisting of after every line one of us going that's what she said <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to give you a hint at how terrible I thought that original original trilogy was so um it was probably the most consistent i would say is probably the prequel trilogy but that means because it was consistently shy all the way through so 
I mean, that's a fair assessment of the prequel trilogy. To be fair, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I will try. I will do my best to defend Revenge of the Sith at all costs. No, I, I do like I do like Revenge of the Sith, but I know it, it needed something else in between because the leap. I mean, it's the same. The Clone Wars wasn't done in between, you know, the actual films in real time because you needed something to help get Anakin from good guy to turn him bad because it just seems a bit it's all very sudden in a two hour film mm. yeah I think I see and I see like I like Revenge because like, I do remember at the time you know how foolish I was then thinking this was going to be the last we ever got of like Star Wars at the time because I was still very young when I went to see it but even much as I like it you know it's not really saying much when you compare it to what came before it especially mm. Attack of the Clones and like also there's still some very cringe worthy Dialogue early on in the film between no, and, and uh, uh, that doesn't that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're talking about like Revenge of the Sith is like the best of the prequel trilogy, but then it is still the that still just makes it the best of a bad bunch. And the worst element I think is it's built on extremely shaky ground because um, the first two films are both flawed in their own ways, like. Um, Phantom Menace, I don't think is a great film. I think it's it's actually quite bad. It's only little bits that are actually really good. Like I think Darth Maul is cool as fuck. I love him. Um, the climatic lightsaber battle is cool as hell. John Williams is almost near his best with Jewel of the Fates uh, soundtrack. Absolutely brilliant. But you just got a lot of decisions that are really questionable. And I know they're going to be very obvious ones, such as like the inclusion of Jar Jar Binks or having Anakin as a child. But I think having Anakin as a child was especially a big mistake because it puts too much pressure on a young child on a young child actor who wasn't able to rise to the occasion. And I feel it would have been almost better if you'd had three films of Anakin just as a Padawan and then going for it. Yeah, or they find him as a young child in like a a sort of opening section and then in the same film you, you, you know because you see it a lot you you can time jump 10 years or something to the actual film if that makes sense mm. just because there's a lot of time spent with a child performer when the main storytelling with him is going to be as a teenager but saying that hayden christian made the child performer look like ben kingsley so <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah, but Hayden Christian Christensen was basically just like brought in. You think, oh, it's going to be much better, and then two minutes in, oh fuck! <laughs> but he's coming back for the Obi Wan, so hopefully he's uh, fine tuned his um, his work. I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't seen much acting from him. I think was it was he in Jumper? Yeah, he was he was yes. the main guy in Jumper. And yeah, Jumper, yeah, Jumper's that... actually not a bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, shame they named it after an uh, you know a garment of clothing. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for the sequels, you know, sweater and overcoat. Um, <laughs> but I, think, I think calling that I think a jumper is more of a UK phrase for that garment clothing. So I'm sure it caused much confusion in the UK when it was upon its release that it didn't cause elsewhere. <laughs> uh, I think I feel sorry for Hayden to some degrees in that I. 
I don't think he had good at, uh, good direction at all because obviously George Lucas is the one behind the camera. And if you look at the different actors that perform for George Lucas, you think they do some really tremendous work, but never with George Lucas. And I know it sounds like I'm probably piling on the guy, which is because I am. Um, but <laughs> what I'm curious about is that with the Kenobi spinoff, I think it will be a really good opportunity for hopefully Hayden to redeem himself because they'll have hopefully much better directors who are able to get really tremendous performance out of him and really elevate the material. Um, I mean, you only have to look at John Favreau in terms of uh, the difference he can make to the overall Star Wars world when compared to a George Lucas figure. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully he won't have such lines as I hate sand. <laughs> oh, the, the most cringeworthy line I think I've ever heard in a cinema. <laughs> but, uh, Sam, if you're not uh, the biggest fan of Star Wars, why exactly did you ask to potentially come on an episode of a Star Wars related podcast? Because what I wanted to demonstrate is that I think... The Mandalorian is a very fascinating show because the first series, the first season especially, is actually almost like a soft introduction to the entire universe. It almost you, it rewards you if you're a fan because there's lots of Easter eggs included, lots of like um, expanding upon ideas and mythology. But the first season very much seemed to be an attempt to bring in those non-fans, the ones who don't have the connection and the material i think in the first season is just such high quality that it doesn't matter whether you're a fan it draws you in so well and i think it was yeah i wanted to offer a really interesting um perspective on it in the difference the mandalorian can do in turning someone who isn't a major fan of the star wars universe or isn't really that bothered about it and seeing what impact it can be, seeing someone at the top of their game doing it. Like, when the new trilogy came out, I ha- I know I joke, say, like, um, oh, uh, The Force Awakens was, like, a really good version of A New Hope. But every time I watched one of the new trilogy films, I would finish it and I'd go, actually, I'm kind of curious to see what happens next, which I'd never had before. So I think... This, the new options were, and new possibilities we're having, these different creative personalities working in this sandbox of, op- of possibilities really plays to the overall strengths of the universe. It's almost like, thank you, George, you came up with some good ideas. Now we're going to have really good creators come in and be able to use your ideas but expand them in a completely different way. And I have to admit, by the time I finished The Mandalorian... I was 100% a fan, and I'm actually interested in the other spin-offs now because of it. So The Mandalorian is possibly, for me, what you should show to a non-Star Wars fan to get them interested. I, I would probably agree with that. Uh, I'm sure Carl would as well. I think if you haven't watched already, the, as we talked about, the Clone Wars, I think especially for Ahsoka coming out, that is a good show to watch, I think, because... I think it doesn't. I think it makes the prequels better in some aspects, and it flushes out characters in ways that the prequels didn't. I'd say halfway halfway into this first season is where you really get, it really gets going, and you really start exploring story arcs that don't that aren't contained to just one episode. And especially as it goes on, and it'll give you a better understanding of Ahsoka as a character. 
you can probably skip the Clone Wars movie because I don't think it really plays into the, the TV show at all. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with what Sam said. Uh, I think a lot of people, from what I hear, who weren't necessarily Star Trek fans have tuned into The Mandalorian because there was so much you know, chatter about it online and, and on, on your socials about how good it was. Uh, I think a lot of non-Star Wars fans have enjoyed The Mandalorian. And, yeah, for me, it got me watching uh, The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels because, as you say, it's characters like... Uh, Costa Reeves and Ahsoka showing up. Um, it, it makes you want to know more about them, so it draws you into watching those other shows. I think you. For, you think one of the things that you accidentally said Star Trek there, and for a second I was going to make him. I was going to take the piss, but then you said Star Wars later on. So I went, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll oh, apologies, <laughs> apologies. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, to I'm, be fair, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. You know, in my front room with my with my Captain Kirk poster, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pride and Place. On my wall, so you know, I've just got a bit confused there. You, you know, for, uh, I have a feeling Carl thought that X Wing pillion that Spock was going to somehow get out of it at the end or fucking Picard or something like that. <laughs> just imagine Seven of Nine walking through in a cat suit with like a lovely cloak on and just be like kicking everyone's ass and then just be like, I'm awesome. And then just like flicks her hair back and just walks off with the child. And you're like, that woman can take whoever she wants with her. <laughs> I mean, I remember whenever I talk about wrestling, I always say, oh, you can like more than one company or you shouldn't annoy yell at somebody for liking one thing over another. However, when it comes to this, I've always preferred Star Wars over Star Trek. Like, I've seen the newer Star Trek films, but nothing about the the old stuff makes me any interested in giving it a try. No, I mean, I, I enjoy both, but I do prefer Star Wars. But my parents were big Star Trek fans as well, so I grew up watching the, the old shows and I've probably seen every episode about 50,000 times because <laughs> my parents could never remember what happened on them, apparently. <laughs> I think you need to take them in to check for a possible memory loss at this rate uh, <laughs> if they can't remember the episodes one after the other. But to be fair... If I was as um, in love with a series as they were, I probably would forget every time so I could rewatch it as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I've watched Buffy 50,000 times, so, you know. I can understand that. I have done entire rewatches through the series at least three, four times, where I'll just for a month or two watch every single episode in a row. And I'm now doing the same with Angel, and I've just gotten to the beginning of season three. And I was watching it on DVDs, and then I found out that it's now on Disney Plus. So now I could just literally stick on Disney Plus all day and be as happy as a clam. Yeah, I had a mini celebration when it was finally on uh, Disney Plus. I must admit. Yeah, fucking Disney Plus is taking all the <laughs> fucking world. <laughs> You're just going to change this from the Mandalorian podcast to a uh, Disney Plus podcast, and it will be end up being all Star Wars focused for re- for most of it. And they'll be like, oh, "I guess we better put Angel on then." Eh? It's just going to become a podcast that, that charts uh, how Disney took over the whole world in real time. You know, we're going to be like Kent Brockman, <laughs> and I, and I, I for one welcome our new mouse-eared overlords. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, for one, am not going to vote against them because um, they probably can hear everything I'm saying right now. Anyway. But, yeah, perhaps, perhaps we should get onto the episode at hand. Yeah, maybe they, if they're listening, they can listen to me 
break down the episode, I'll run down the plot synopsis as we often do. This is Mandalorian, the season two finale. It's chapter 16, The Rescue. Directed by Ant-Man director and director of Yes Man, uh, Peyton Reed, who, you know, didn't have a good track record with bloody Mandalorian coming out of this, as he directed The Passenger uh, earlier on this season, a fucking abysmal episode. <laughs> but it's also written by John Favreau, the majority of the episodes are, and it opens on Slave One, Boba Fett's ship, uh, chasing down an Imperial shuttle, and then end up boarding it when Mando and Dune come aboard, looking, looking for Dr. Pershing, who is the doctor that we saw earlier in the series trying experimenting on Grogu at the orders of Moff Gideon. And uh, the two pilots, you know, one of the pilots shoots the other because he tries to you know, say, oh, I'm not with him and everything. And then the guy points the gun towards Pershing, knowing that he's valuable to them. And he talks about Alderaan to Cardoon and he talks about, you know, being on the Death Star, watching it blow, watching Alderaan blow up. And he, he goes, oh, what Death Star are you on? Joking about the fact that there were two. But then he kind of gives you a point of view that you didn't really consider before, saying, like, you know, a lot, you realize how many people died on both those Death Stars while the, while the whole universe cheered it, which you don't really think about before. But eventually, Caradun manages to shoot the guy and not harm Dr. Pershing, and they take him on board their ship because they need him to help uh, locate uh, Moff Gideon and tell him about his ship. Then uh, I literally like whenever I look up planets for uh, the, that they go to in these episodes, they use, they use a name for them. Legit, like this was listed as unknown, like planet uh, that that Mando and Boba Fett go to next, where they go to catch up with Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves. Koska Reeves obviously played by Mercedes Vardano, aka Sasha Banks, uh, and they basically want their help to take out Moff Gideon, and Mando says they can take the ship. Uh, to help uh, when they're done so they can help take back Mandalore and you know, Boba Fett kind of scoffs at it you know the Empire just destroyed Mandalore and, Bo- and Bo-Katan is very hostile towards Boba saying that he's not a real Mandalorian, that he's a clone she says, he says like this armour belonged to my father, she goes no you mean your donor, which then leads to a, a fight between Boba and Koska Reed, which I just put in all caps with the exclamation mark in my notes, jetpack assisted DDT <laughs> because <laughs> yeah Sasha Banks brings out a DDT right in the middle of the of a fight, and then Bo Urkatan talks about, and Bo realizes that Moff Gideon has the dark savings possession, and so she wants that above everything else, so that she can have the right to rule Mandalore. And you know, a little hint for what we see later on is she says as they're uh, flying towards the ship, saying, "Doesn't matter what happens to Gideon afterwards, as long as he surrenders to me." And so they come in on that stolen shuttle while uh, Boba Fett is shooting on them so they can get permission to, to land on their the sh- on their ship. And then Boba Fett, as soon as they get on board, he just gets on out of there, which at the time I was disappointed about, but uh, I didn't realise what was to what was to come. And uh, Dr. Pershing also warned them about the Dark Troopers, saying that they're not troopers, you know, they've removed the human element, that was the final weakness, and basically says that they're droids. But they do take a few minutes to uh, warm up. Uh, so... Phoenix Shand, Bo-Katan, Koskaris and Cardin all basically easily take out all the, the troopers and they make their way to the bridge uh, or Mando goes after Moff Gideon. He does run into one of the dark troopers, manages to shut them up the rest in a room and open the uh, the, sh- the doors which sees them flying out into space. But Mando still has issues with one of the one of the dark troopers before he's able to take it out with uh, his Beskar spear. And then he gets to the cell where the child is being held 
and he sees Markane standing over him with the, the dark saber. And he basically, it seems like he's going to let him go, you know, all I wanted to do was to test him, he's very extraordinary. You take him and we'll both go our separate ways before immediately trying to attack him with the, the dark saber. And Mando, they mentioned that he can't cut through pure best so Mando's able to hold his own with the, the spear and then uh, takes out Gideon like easily. And then he kind of smells because he knows now that he's been defeated by Mando, that Mando is worthy of the dark saber and he knows that's going to annoy Bo-Katan, which it does, and he's out there trying to stir the pot between them. Uh, but then the dark troopers return, and they're basically trying to bang through the doors, and they know that they had an issue with one dark trooper, so how they going to go on like a couple of dozen of them. And then we have the moment that I think this episode is fondly remembered for it, above everything else, when an X-Wing arrives at, in the ship, docks in the ship, and they see the reaction of Grogu, you can tell, like, oh, something's not right. There's somebody big in there. And then we see a, a, a leather-clad hand with a green lightsaber just easily cutting down these dark troopers like they're nothing, which is revealed to be... I can't say it hasn't aged well because if it wasn't really that good in the first place, but it's basically... It looks Skywalker aged down to make Mark Hamill look younger. Who basically comes to take the child as he sensed them a few episodes ago when Gogu got in touch with the Force. And uh, it looks like he doesn't want to go at first. And then he says to Mando, he wants your permission. So Mando takes his helm off. And he and the child look at each other. The child puts his hand in his face. And then he takes uh, look, takes him with him. He says, you know, he's strong with the force, but talent without training is nothing. And we have this emotional farewell. R- R2-D2. R2-D2 gets a little uh, surprise cameo. And then uh, they have the big emotional goodbye. And then we have a rare uh, post credit scene for the show where we go to Jabba's Palace on Tatooine and uh, we have Bid Fortuna who was kind of the right hand man of Jabba in the original trilogy now fat and basically taking over Jabba's role as like the crime lord of, of Tatooine but now and then in comes Phoenix Shannon, Boba Fett shooting uh, the guards, everybody flees and it's just the three left and uh, Bid Fortuna talks like they don't give you subtitles on, except for one or two lines where he says, oh, Boba, I thought you were dead. I heard all, like, so many rumours about you. And Boba just starts out saying anything, just shoots him, throws him, tosses him aside, and just sits in the chair as the words, the book of Boba Fett, December 2021, appeared on screen. And, oh, I can't tell you how excited I was at the time. I got goosebumps just watching it back as well as I did with the, the Luke Skywalker scene. Uh, Carl, I'll go to you first, like, Put me back into your mindset at the time last year when this happened, when the X Wing pulled up and it was revealed to be Luke Skywalker. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I was so excited. Um, you see the X Wing. I, 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 I didn't twig straight away that it'd be Luke Skywalker, obviously, because we'd seen returning characters. My first <laughs> thought was perhaps it would be Ahsoka, but then you see, as you say, you see the. The leather hat, the leather clad hand, and the green lightsaber, and I just got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh shit, it's going to be Luke, isn't it?" And it, as daft as it is, I'd been on Twitter and I'd saw a tweet from Mark Hamilton. Watched anything good lately? And and I still didn't twig <laughs> until I saw the green lightsaber. And it's like, and yeah, and then when he reveals his face, I know a lot of people complained about the the de-aging CGI, but I don't think it's that bad. I mean, it's on a TV budget. It's only for a you know, couple of minutes of the, the episode. Just you know, get over it and enjoy the programme. 
Yeah, it was fine if, as long as you didn't focus on it too much while it was happening. But as I said before, like if they were going to do a show about the formation of the New Republic and they wanted Luke to be a part of it, then they needed to probably recast somebody in that role rather than having Siege DAs like uh, Mark Hamill for most of it. But yeah, I was excited because like, I didn't think it was going to be like, I remember at the time I saw like one X-Wing pulls up and then I thought then a big fleet of X-Wings was going to come out. Like it was going to be one of those X-Wing pilots that we'd been introduced to earlier in the season and that, that was going to be what it was all about and they were going to help you know take over the ship and like fight off the dark troopers but it makes a lot more sense that it is a jedi even then i didn't think it'd be like even though i heard rumors i heard i think a fan theory was that instead of a dh mark camel people thought sebastian stan was going to play like a younger version of luke which would have been cool but you know i think well it had to be mark camel like playing out even even with the cgi aside uh Sam, if somebody, like I said, who was another attach- big attachment to the original trilogy, what did you think of that scene with Luke coming in? So, I have to admit, I think the scene itself is probably one of, one of the best scenes that they have done in The Mandalorian. What was fantastic about it was very much um, the little intricate subtle hints that they gave you and the little clues as it went along to the point that even i a non-fan was starting to see a connection so obviously you start with the x-wing which makes you think it's going to be a hero which is fantastic you got the cloaked figure and you have the lightsaber appearing as soon as it's a green lightsaber that is always going to have a great symbolic meaning whether you it's for um a proper fan or not so you already feed yourself, right, I know there's a Jedi, I know a green lightsaber is quite where it it could possibly be, but I can't say for certain. And I will tell you the moment where I became certain was to do with that with his hands, in that the right hand had the black glove on, and then as he goes to use the force, you see Luke's left hand and it doesn't have a glove. And that was like a little moment included that made me think oh, fuck, actually, this has got to be Luke, because who else is going to do that? It wouldn't make sense. Um, What I love about, especially when opening up the doors and he comes into the actual command room, is that it was very reminiscent of Darth Vader in Rogue One with the use of the fog and the silhouette. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I've seen like a lot of photos and memes of them side by side, and yeah, it's it's, it's uncanny. I've got, I can't believe it's just uh, an accident or a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I've got to believe that it was um, it was specifically done oh. to tie back to it. If I, I no part of me wants to imagine that it was purely coincidence because it feels like the amount of time and dedication put into um, these episodes by the actual creators would suggest to me that everything would matter. I mean, otherwise, they wouldn't bother with the glove. They wouldn't bother with um, in making sure that the face is just covered enough to hide it. They would just like just have them come in and stay in the darkness or something like that. They really put a lot of effort into making it obvious in retrospect that it could only be Luke. And I think yeah. especially watching Grogu reacting and reaching out towards the screen that would say to you that this has to be someone with a tremendous amount of force because he didn't do that when it came to Ahsoka, but he did it when it comes to Luke. So that shows the difference in level and power and ability. And it's those little details that I think really show the amount of care being put into it. And by doing that, it makes it rewarding, not just for non-major fans who are watching and seeing this person revealed, 
but also diehard fans who are just like, this is everything I wanted and more. Um, in regards to the CGI, I agree with you, Carl, in that with in regards to the face, just just shut up and enjoy it because you're just you're seeing something on screen you never thought you were going to see, and it's only a brief moment. I think if they ever did like a long uh, episode or a um, um, more regular appearances of Luke, then that might be a case where they will either have to get really good CGI or maybe bring in a Sebastian Stan figure, for instance, to do it. Um, with Mark Hamill's voice over, possibly. But for a brief moment like this, it's everything that the fans are going to want. And I think it's a very much a... It's almost like a reward for the fans as well, in that um, they have, they've been able to get all these like, Easter eggs and different characters crossing in, and now they got to see their favourite. So I think, um, overall, between... John Favreau, Peyton Reed, all of those, they put together a fantastic scene that deserves tremendous credit. Yeah, I think as soon as Gorgo kind of turned his head and then before he put his hand on the, the screen, you could kind of tell by his reaction that it had to be a Jedi, but you weren't sure who it was going to be. I thought maybe it was somebody from more expanded universe who's going to make their live action debut, like an Ezra Bridger or someone like that. But then, obviously, like you said, the gloved hand and the green lights they were in, I think we we got the answer to our question, Carl. Why the Doctor was it making another appearance in another any any other type of Star Wars film or in the sequel trilogy? Because these things just get cut to shit with the uh, with this, like because they did a good job of building them up earlier on in the episode. No, with like Mando's fire, not even being able to really harm it that much. But these lightsabers and the how powerful Luke really is with the Force, he just chops them all down, and it makes you wonder with Michael's reaction. Maybe like that scene. Wade connected to the Force in Episode Six of the show. Like you wonder what how that was working. Maybe you could tell me at the end before Grogu kind of fainted that like he and Luke sensed each other. So Grogu, if he is that powerful, probably recognised Luke because he sensed him. That's why he had the reaction that he did. And also Luke. It kind of makes you also think that maybe if Mando and that had waited a bit longer before they got to that ship, maybe Luke would have got there anyway and just took out the whole ship by himself. Maybe, but it would have been a lot shorter episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest... 12... <laughs> Sorry, just, 12... just Just thank you for this 12-minute episode, but nine minutes of it is Luke just kicking everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, until they got, came up against Luke and the uh, lightsaber, they were pretty effective. I mean, Mando really struggled to defeat uh, the one he was stuck with, but probably they decided... It's not worth the budget if uh, they can be dismantled by what by one Jedi. Mm-hmm. I mean, I imagine they cost a few million quid. I should I should expect. Yeah, or you? or maybe they just took the Cylons from Battlestar Galactica and painted them black and chrome because they looked very <laughs> similar. <laughs> yeah. uh, they were very rock and sock and robots in terms of their movements. Just the way that they had that, that one dark who had Mando up against the wall and just did the soul just punching. On his helmet, not that way. <laughs> One of the elements I loved with the um, Dark Force robots, I admit, was when they were lined up outside of the actual room where all the heroes were based, and then they all got themselves in a, in the same position and just started punching. And the rhythm of that, I thought, 
was really good at building up some tension for it because it starts off slowly and it gradually gets quicker and the cuts are going quicker as well between all the characters getting more and more worried and i think um that 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 was such a simplistic move but it really sold the overall terror of what these cre- uh these robots could do basically and i thought it was very cre- creative and clever in order to make them a maximum threat for using just one in a fight and then the pounding on the wall, on the doors and possibly coming in and overall i just i just really enjoyed the way that they planned that and i thought i wanted to give that a little bit of a mention because even though they all got easily destroyed by luke skywalker basically barely coming out of first gear the build-up to them made them seem so terrifying that it just made luke even more mythical because of it yeah and the fact that they all got sucked out of an airlock and still managed to come back as well was uh, uh, pretty scary to be honest in yes. my book i think they really played with you with that link is like they teased the the ability of the dark troopers that they were coming and that they they saw them briefly when they kidnapped grogu but then you see them all get easily sucked out you think oh that's kind of underwhelming and then they all come back and you think oh shit's about to go down and they very nearly break into the to the brig of the ship uh, they really break it through the doors where the our, our protagonists are and then that's when luke shows up so you know that's two episodes a painting design which features somebody coming in at the exact right moment to save the day although this one was a lot better done than in episode 10. Uh, well, i think it was really well done and you know that scene with grogu and mando when mando takes the helmet off only the third time across the whole series that he's let someone see his face and it's twice two episodes as well uh, but like and you see the, the, the look between like mando's trying looks like he's about to cry and probably gonna put his hand out to his face and everything uh like it's very rare that star wars makes people cry but i'm pretty sure there are a few people who would be out there who would not be too excited to admit that they cried in this scene i almost cried watching it for this episode and i've, and I've seen it already yeah. it's definitely one of those I'm not crying, you're crying moments, isn't it? Let's, let's be honest. And another thing I just want to get across is I'm so glad that Luke got a chance of a proper badass moment. I mean, yeah, he's had his jewels with Darth Vader, but in the sequels, he's a bit more of a, a, a broken man. And everything, he, and everything good he kind of does in... Um, the second episode, which I've forgotten what it was called now, was was that the Last Jedi? Um, yeah. He's all it's, it's revealed that it was all just protected, projecting himself with the Force from far away. And this, he's got you know a proper badass um, with a lightsaber, taking all those dark troopers, almost as we said before, reminiscent of his father, Darth Vader. So it was great he got that moment. I think. Yeah, it kind of got a similar moment like uh, on Jabba's like ship at the start of right Return of the Jedi, just cutting everybody. But like they were just like random like henchmen and everything. Whereas like you said, these Dark Troopers have been built up as a big threat, especially throughout this episode. So yeah, it is a good moment. But also shows like it's five or so years after Return of the Jedi, so it's showing that look, being kind of one of the only Jedi's at that time. But we heard like in the sequel trilogy that he tried to build up a new. Like Jedi Temple, which Grogu now is going away to be part of, seemingly that he's gotten more powerful as one of the only like Jedi's left. And then you know, as the internet does, the internet ruins things, and then it points out that Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren basically killed all of Luke's students, which implies that Grogu is dead now in canon. 
No, he might have. Uh, I, I, he's probably well. He is older than Carlo Run because he's fifty already. But <laughs> digressing, he might have he might have completed his training and moved on for all we know. You don't know. Maybe that'll be revealed at some juncture. I if, hope if, it. I hope it is. If we don't see a body, that it doesn't count. We should know that. Uh, that's like uh, television 101. Um, I, I, I would like to say I, I agree with Karen saying that it was really cool getting to see Luke have such an awesome moment. And I think one of the elements that really played into that was Moff Gideon's response to mm-hmm. realizing it's Luke because you have just seen a Imperial officer who is otherwise completely unflappable and seemingly prepared for all possibilities. And the moment he realizes that could be Luke Skywalker, you, well, he, it's lucky he, he should have been wearing his brown pants basically because he absolutely shits himself. And the fact that he tries to commit suicide, the sort of character you think would have an answer for everything, here's one response to this, per- this person, this mythical legend who defeated Darth Vader, is to try and kill himself. I think just added even more to saying this is how dangerous Luke has now become and how capable he is. Yes, he took out the entirety of the Dark Force, but you're also not uh, forgetting he made a huge big threat terrified. Yeah, yeah. I think we've talked a lot, I mean, girl, have about how good Moff Gideon is as a, as a villain. And like to compare that to the season one finale where he's out in the middle of uh, the fields in Navarro where there's all this gunfire going off around him. He's just walking in amongst it, you know, not even caring if he gets hit because he's got a target. He tries to blow up this generator, which nearly kills Mando in the process. Whereas then compare that to here when he knows that like, a Jedi is coming, he probably wasn't prepared for his dark troopers to go up against the Jedi. And so he tries to shoot like Bo Katan, he tries to shoot the child, which is even more telling because, you know, the past two seasons, his sole goal is to get the child so he can do these like, experiments on him and test him because of his high Metaclorian count. And now, after all this, he, like, like said, he panics. Like, even when the dark troopers were pounding the door, he's just so kind of like, Everybody in a few minutes, everybody but me and the child will be dead. And then the reaction as the slow realization of I'm fucked now. And the fact again, he, like no, he is still alive though, so he can still come back for season three, which is which I'm hoping happens. But uh, yeah, Carl, I think it goes to show kind of the, it's the most vulnerable we've ever seen, Moff Gideon. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if he necessarily does realise it's actually Luke Skywalker, but he definitely knows it's a Jedi. And yeah, he, you, you see the sort of shock and fear on his face. It's uh, as always. It's a it's a great performance by um, uh, Giancarlo. That's it. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I was gonna say. What did you think of his performance, there, Sam? Because you know, Giancarlo Esposito in, in general just plays a good villain. Especially here, you know, because we've seen him play villains before, like The Boys and, and Breaking Bad and things like that. I think what he does really well is that he um, he uses the little moments very well. The um, the um, moments in between when he's like dealing with people, so that you can that you can really feel that they're all beneath him. He is of a higher level because of how intelligent and capable he is, and he really sells that um, contempt he obviously has for everyone around him and his willingness to do what's required. And it takes a really, really good actor to be able to take 
someone like this and make them so hateable because it can be very easy to just get frustrated with um, villains because they're just badly done. But his intelligence and his viciousness and that sort of thing just makes him an even better villain that you love to hate. And that is all because of Giancarlo, because he is such a top-class performer. And I think it's a really good sign you can get these brilliant dramatic television actors um, involved doing high-quality work. Um, I'm not sure how I would feel about him coming back again, though, I have to admit, because I feel like the first season was almost like focusing on um what's uh what's the the guy's name in the first episode who originally puts the bounty out so the first season is dedicated to ah ferner herzog that's it and then at the end of that season you have moff gideon take over and then he's the main focus for season two and i'm wondering whether it's more likely he's now going to be replaced possibly by someone who's already been mentioned admiral fawn uh, uh, yeah, maybe. I have a feeling Admiral Thrawn might be more on the Ahsoka one. Mm. My my theory, um, I think Bo-Katan might become the villain, and I think the third series might centre around the Dark Saber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, th- yeah, I definitely think that because you can see like when Moff Gideon got beaten by Mando and their fight. Because you really think about it, like. Two seasons of got it like even before getting was revealed, he was kind of quietly revealed to be working in the background. So kind of two seasons of him being around and as the main like uh, threat to Mando and the child that it's the first time he and Mando have ever actually physically come to blows, uh, which is interesting that they built up to that. And uh, even when he's beaten, he's still very confident because he knows he can start this up because he knows the pride of Mandalorians like Bo-Katan and like how like it's not the dark side of it, it's the story of how you. You earned it to become the the leader of Mandalore, and he's like, you know, she has to defeat you, you know, uh, to take it, and like he's just trying to give it to her because he doesn't care about the dark saber. But you see, Bo-Katan, like, if, if Luke and the or the dark Wars had been a few minutes later, she might have like, she may have considered like trying to kill Mando in order to claim the dark saber or mm. force them to to fight her. So yeah, I do think that slowly but surely they're gonna get the story of season three is gonna be the you know obsession of Bo-Katan to become leader of Mandalore that turns her almost into the villain. Maybe you can have, you know, like a John Gala pop up once or twice, you know, as the a villain. Maybe they got him in some sort of prison and Bo-Katan or Mando goes to visit him. Kind of like a Will Graham visiting Hannibal Lecter kind of thing. When you think about it. So it could happen and maybe Mando by the end of it will be like a Jon Snow character. Like everybody says to him, well you should real Mandalore. Like, I don't want to. <laughs> well, hopefully that's a better ending. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> he he is extremely naive, as I've put it out before. I mean, he fell for the old, oh, I'll let you take him, hook, <laughs> line and sinker, didn't he? I mean, we all knew what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a bit too trusting. And you I think, given everything he's gone through, that he knew it wouldn't be that simple. Uh, also, it's cool that he has the, I can't remember what it's called on his arm. He's got a bit on his like, arm of his suit. But it's just kind of the mini kind of uh, missiles, and he, shoots, he uses it on this, this, the troopers on the way to get into the cell. But Moff Gideon says, you can already tell as soon as he walked in that he fired your one and only shot, and so basically he knows that he's one weapon down already, and he knows that Mando's struggle against the Dark Trooper. So he's always, see, he feels like a step ahead, except for that final scene uh, when Luke shows up. But also talking about badass scenes, 
we go back to that uh, fight between Bo- uh, Boba Fett and Oscar Reeves, by the way, because, you know, as a wrestling fan, I always hope if there's a wrestler in a film and there's a fight scene, that at some point they pull out a wrestling move. And seeing Sasha Banks' character hit a DDT in the middle of a fight. It was pretty awesome, but, you know, it could only be Sasha Banks that no sells uh, Boba Fett's attacks. <laughs> She, she's like, um, uh-uh, boy, that ain't happening right now. Um, but I, I have to admit that even though she has the most awesome moment in that fight, um, it was curious to see the contrast between the almost like the old old version of the Mandalorian against the newer lot and the different and the differences between them. Um, in that you'll notice that Boba Fett's instantly went for his weapons in order to try and use it to keep them at a distance. Whereas Costco was a lot more close quarter combat. Um, so it really shows the difference in their style in that um, Bobo is a, was a bounty hunter who would keep them afar and look to take them in. Whereas Costco is a deep close um, fighter who is used to taking down multiple people so it really shows this uh difference between the two of them and i want to see more styles like that incorporated where you can see the differences between the different sets and versions of the uh mandalorian tribes because it can't just be about oh they've got different beliefs it also has to be different fighting styles different um they've already got the different uniform types and i would like to see them really play into that more in the second uh, in the third season possibly showing the differences between these different tribes to really sell the difference yeah yeah sorry uh, you are a, do you want to go yeah i was gonna say yeah definitely and if we don't get a jetpack assisted ddt at SummerSlam, then the pay-per-view is already a failure in my book I mean, I mean, why 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 Sasha didn't have some mandalorian inspired like gear when she came out for a match against bianca Belair at wrestlemania it's just a missed opportunity it really is but she, she could have easily picked the win up if she had her armor on <laughs> That was a mistake. I have to put over the new rising star. This is the way. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's interesting what you said, Sam, about the different like trades and everything, because you do get, I think, hints of that in the the Rebels TV show, because one of the main characters is Mandalorian, and so then Mm. they go back to Mandalore and they've got the different tribes and everything, and some tribes of the time had allied with the Empire and some hadn't, and you got like different suits and everything. So yeah, I, I do agree with that different kind of style. I just want to see what different move, different move sets, uh, like maybe other wrestling moves, maybe Sasha can pull out in a random fight scene in season three. And I'm also hoping if we if we are right and Bo-Katan does go bad in season three, that as her right hand that Cosby's goes bad with her, because everybody knows Sasha Banks is a better heel than she has a baby face. Exactly, and it needs a cameo by uh, Michael Cole just to shout out it's bus time. Just <laughs> I don't know how they're going to shoehorn it in, but it it needs to happen. Yeah, definitely. It is quite interesting uh, to see like the the attitudes of their own Mandalorians towards Boba, because I've heard like I think it's explained somewhere in the uh, expanded universe that you know that Jango Fett was seen as a bit of a traitor on Mandalore because he's like uh, Boba says that you know my father fought in the Mandal like Mandalorian civil wars and everything, so he wasn't Mandal. But Jango was born on Mandalore, but yeah, basically sold out, he sell out because he became a bounty hunter and then like bond with the uh, the Empire and the the Camino, uh, Camoans, 
uh, the only experience I'd have the Camelons on Camino to help be the donor for the Cologne army, which then ended up in the end of the Jedi. So he's kind of seen as a sellout by the people of Andalore, and clearly that's still that's still fresh for people like uh, like Bo-Katan. And uh, she even says because she's like worked with the Jedi and the Cologne army in the Clone Wars series. She says I fought I fought beside people that share his face. Yeah, just to break the awkward silence. Sorry, I thought thought Sam was going to jump in. I was doing the same man. thing. I was waiting for you. <laughs> and you get it's like when you stood at a door and you're like, no, after you, no, after you, no. And then after thirty seconds, you're like, wait, let's both fucking go for it. Then. Yeah. So- <laughs> Whoever wants to take that, because I think it goes into a thing uh, from an episode ago where uh, they need somebody to help infiltrate a base, and uh, they look at Bob and goes, let's just say they might recognise my face. Yeah, definitely. It is. It was quite an interesting little uh, callback there by Bo-Katan that yeah, she's because we saw in the season finale she um, joined up with Ahsoka and they had a a, a regiment of clones helping them, mm-hmm. didn't they? So yeah, she knows that uh, his face, what it and, and what and what he is, um, and yeah, she quite obviously detests him. Yeah. So. But willing to work, but willing to work with him and Mando in order to get what she really wants, and that's the dark saber. And uh, that was put over so much in the episode. That's why I feel that she could maybe gradually become a bit of the a villain, and the dark saber be like the new MacGuffin for the <laughs> series. Um, you know, as he, I don't know, as they try and get it off him or, or something. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Like, could end up creating uh, maybe a possible Mandalorian in a uh, civil war with um, now that the dark saber is in the possession of someone who is a loner, it's a lot easier for other ones to chase him. So then it becomes less a question of just um, one enemy in Bo-Katan. It could be like two or three or four different Mandalorians who you could even possibly have one of the um, Mandalorians from the first season who <laughs> was really big on um, um, the one who almost got into a fight with uh, the protagonist, having those ones come back and, and say they want the dark saber so that they can lead an uprising and come back and that sort of thing. The dark saber now because of the hints it's been given, it's going is obviously going to be very important. You're not going to leave it in some in someone's hands and not take advantage of it. So it may legitimately become the next MacGuffin, where Mando is almost stuck in between all these different sects and cults fighting for possession of it. And I I'd be quite curious to see if something like that could happen and how they would do it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also wondering if we'll see anything of Sabine Wren in one of these, in either Mando or Ahsoka, because as far as I can remember, she was the last person to have it before we saw Moff Gideon with it, but you might correct me on that one. I think she did give it to Bo-Katan towards the end of Rebels, and then, like, we still don't know, maybe we'll get a flashback scene to how Moff Gideon got it from Bo-Katan in the first place, because I don't think it's ever really been explained how he got possession of it. And honestly, I think maybe she, maybe she feels like she let the people of Mandalore down by losing it to Gideon. And that's why she's so obsessed with beating him specifically to get it back. Because, you know, her sister was the former ruler of Mandalore. And now she feels it's her right to be the ruler. And, like, something I didn't even notice about uh, the episode until I watched it the second time is that she specifically says he needs to surrender to me. 
so that obviously she can claim the dark saber because of the rules of how it works with Matt, the the dark saber. And it is interesting. We mentioned the uh, the people that of the kind of tribe that Mando was a part of, and you know when he meets Pokitana, they were described like if he was brought up with his like religious zealots and everything. Like, although he subscribed to the old ways, but we we believe in like you don't always have to hide your face and everything. So maybe you'll be reunited with the people from. Uh, because we didn't see the armor die, she kind of took out those stormtroopers. The others were kind of missing, so maybe it'll be reunited with them. They try to convince them, "Oh, you should be uh, like rule Mandalore." And then Bo-Katan's got her people behind her saying, "No, Bo-Katan should rule Mandalore. It's her family, right, and everything." So it could kind of end up being a civil war. And like that's at least, at the very least, I do want to actually go to Mandalore in season two, like get to see Mandalore in live action because it's been appeared in Clone Wars and Rebels, but we've never seen it live action because they do a really good job with the sets and everything and uh on the on this show especially for like tv but it gets got a big budget for uh for disney plus so getting to see what they'd make mandor look like in live action would be very interesting yeah i mean it's disney so they've basically got unlimited cash haven't they for mm-hmm. for things like this and uh yeah they could do that that'd be quite interesting to to see mandalore and uh all its glory in uh in in live action and yeah as some pointed out before maybe he'll have different people chasing after him for the um dark saber you just don't know it could go in any way and another question i was going to ask uh you guys what you've what you feel about it do you think now he's taking his mask off at the end of the season revealing his face to everyone do you think we'll see him without his mask a bit more and more to the point should we or should it carry on as much of the same where he keeps the mask on most of the time I mean like we know what he looks like anyway we know what Pedro Pascal looks like anyway but I don't really think it makes a difference in that regard Uh, but I think it depends. Maybe it'll show more of a development in Mando's character. They is starting to slowly move away from the ways that he was brought up. Maybe actually, I think in terms of villains, maybe it'll start to seem like Bo-Katan's the villain of the season, but maybe if the, the group, I can't remember what they're called, that uh, Mando was brought up with, if they are really religious zealots, maybe they come back and they tell them, why are you showing your face? And they force them to put the helmet back on and keep it on. And they, over to, over the season, they basically turn into the villains of the series, mm-hmm. and Mando has, and Mando has to then ally with Bo-Katan, and they have to become allies again. Yeah, because what was that name of the that sort of bad sect of oh. uh, Mando? Was it the Death Watch or something like that? I think they call themselves the Watch something because I think Bo-Katan's group are called the like, the Night Owls. Yeah, there like was that. something like yeah, there was another section there, wasn't there in the Clone Wars? Some it could have been something like yep. Death Watch or something where um, they sort of aligned themselves with Darth Maul in the end, didn't they? Yeah, bo was originally a part of uh, Death Watch and then she left because like, Maul took over. And the leader, as I joked before, pre-Vizsla, the leader of Death Watch was actually weirdly voiced by John Favreau. So but it's funny how that works out. Then now he's bringing his wife back to Mandalore. <laughs> I think one of the only things with um, having um, Pedro Pascal show his face is that it's actually only occurred three times so far um, in in detail. That is the first one, obviously, in the season one finale, where he reveals it to a droid that isn't living. Um, the second one, obviously, having to have his face scanned. And the third one to say goodbye to Grogu. If you look at the three occasions where it's occurred, 
it's been a bending of his rules, but not a breaking of it. And I feel those rules are too ingrained into him that he would become like Bo Katan and Costco, where he barely ever wears it. I feel that the moments hit more when he does take it off, knowing what a big deal it is. And I think if they then went to season three and he like basically turns into Sylvester Stallone's dread where he never wears the fucking mask, it's going to really betray some of the essence of the character. So I, I would be disappointed to some degrees if they had it, that they stopped using the mask as often, because I feel it, it is too integral to the character and a great, um, uh, it's, it's like a, it's a great image when he's got the mask on. If you take it off, um, it doesn't really hit as much. So I would much prefer if they continue with the way they've done it. Cause if you think about it, he, he showed it once in season one, twice in season two in quick succession. If they did two or three next season for important moments, such as like saying goodbye to someone or having to save someone, then I can sort of live with it. But I want, I like having him in the mask, especially if he has it that in real life, Pedro Pascal, if he has other work that he is going to have conflicting, it allows them to use stunt doubles more regularly and just have him voice over. Yeah. I was going to say it would make it more difficult for him to have a day off and have the stunt double fill in. If he, uh, if he does need to do something else, I mean, I'm open-minded. I mean, I'm just in, uh, you know, interested to see, what directions they take and what they decide to do in season three. I'm, I'm, you know, I'll judge once I, I've watched it and and seen how things develop. Yeah, I've just had a, I just had a quick Google there. The Children of the Watch is the name of the group that Mando was brought up with. So, yeah, so basically we were on the right path with the Watch something. Yeah. Cool. So, so I... I also have a question in relation to season three that I'd like to ask you both. And I feel like it's something that Scott will probably turn on and say he was going to ask later on. How much do you think Grogu will appear in the next season? And how much of an impact do you think it will make on the show? This is actually something I was going to say in a, in a, to an extent. I was going to talk about what you said about the Dark Sea being the new kind of MacGuffin, because that's basically what Grogu was to an extent. No, but Mando like trying to keep him safe, having to move from one place to the next place, and figure out where to take him here, and then to meet a Jedi at this place and wherever. Uh, I think it will be a big thing, and that's why I'm so like uh, anxious to finally get some more Mandalorian to see what the show is like without Grogu, because he appeared like virtually like one of the last shots of the final of the first episode is the reveal of him, and he's been a part of the show ever since. So to then not have him around uh, will be a, a big change. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't appear at all. Like, I, I, again, in the series, like, throughout any of season three, maybe we'll get, like, a one-off thing where he, he goes and visits someone wherever this new Jedi Temple is on a one-off scene. But I don't think he'll be a big part of the show, and I wouldn't be surprised if we never see him again. Yeah, I agree with Scott on that one. I think if we do, it's going to have to be earned, and it's going to be a, you know, a bit like how Luke appeared. But, you know, not as in badassery because he's only a, a baby whatever he whatever he is but um you know it'll just be a a short you know a short few minutes at the end of a scene 
but it, you know it'll need to be earned. So I don't know how they would work it in. So uh, I'm with Scott. I think I think there is a chance we might not see him at all. Mm-hmm. I have to admit I'm slightly worried about. It. I mean I've I've watched um I didn't watch them when they originally came out. So I've watched the episodes in like quite huge big compressed sections. Like I watch like three four episodes at a time, and I've. It to me, the relationship between Mando and Grogu has been so integral to the overall spirit of the show. It's one of the it's the it the reason why it hits so much when Grogu is taken. Uh, well, I say taken away when he leaves with Luke is the relationship that's been built between them, and I feel it offers such good character dynamics to Mando which coupled with the fact that you already have it, that another good um, character that he used to bounce off of, Kara, is now not going to be appearing at all. Boba Fett and Fennec may be stuck, may be doing just their own show, so they may be a lot less likely to appear. Um, I'm worried that it's going to have Mando as just a solo character with no with no regular person to bounce off of and create that relationship that fans can invest in um and it, it that's my overall worry but then you also have it at the same time if you bring back grogu so quickly it completely negates the emotion of the season two finale so i'm i'm worried they've placed themselves in a situation where they'll either be damned if they do or damned if they don't and i'm not sure what would be the best idea for how to work with it i think what i'd like to see is at least a couple of episodes where you see how mando's learning to cope without you know his 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 companion grogu and then maybe they can sort of uh, you know, two episodes of three. So they introduce uh, a new character for him to uh, to get to know and and work with uh, in in some way or form. Yeah, I think one of the things I'm looking forward to about season three is getting to watch it weekly again. And like when we whenever we talk about it on the pod, haven't they talked about the fans are just that episode because you know we were talking about this like a year or so after the season season came out. So obviously. When we talk about our thoughts on episodes, we sometimes end up factoring our like knowing what we know now and what is to come in the later episodes. Whereas right now we're just all together speculating about what's to come next for season three because we don't know what season three is gonna be. And yeah, I do agree. Like if you are gonna show Grogu, it has to be like towards the end of season three and just a one scene, I think, because of how much they linger on both on both him, his face and Grogu's face, like towards the end, just the draw you in on the emotion of this just farewell and like basically Mando's like completed his mission finally to like get Grogu back to his own kind and I actually would like it to be like and you know I'm fancy booking here kind of but like I think it'd be quite perfect you know kind of touching end to season three is that also you have some big content whether it's going to be with the other Mandalorians or whatever season three is going to be about and then like one of the last scenes of season three is uh, Mando leaving landing the, the ship He's going to need a new ship because there is a Crispin boat to fuck. But landing his ship on uh, a random planet we don't know, and then it's just him visiting Grogu. Just they have a, they just look at each other, and that's how season three ends. So just that one scene, just so he knows that Grogu is okay, and so he can also help fans who are missing the character, but it also doesn't take away from the moment that we got at the end of season two. Yeah, that that could definitely be an option. It would definitely work. 
Yeah, I think that could be a really interesting touch to be uh, able to have almost like a breather season without Grogu and then earning that moment by the end of the season um, where you get to see him again. Um, I am going to throw out a bit of fantasy casting. I would quite like to maybe see a previous character come back and maybe appear more often to offer a different relationship with... um, Mando, I would look. I wouldn't mind seeing um, Cobb Famp of uh, t- where who Timothy Oliphant played the Marshal, um, because I love him and as an as an actor. I think his character was fantastic as well. The relationship between the two of them in that episode was really fascinating. And if they had to bring someone back who's not possibly going to be appearing in one of the other shows, which basically means pretty much anyone who was in uh, the uh, last episode if they had if they were going to bring someone back who i feel could have a really good relationship with um mando i would go with the marshal just because it'll be it'll go from a almost like a father-son relationship to a buddy cop or like a partner sort of thing and the more of timothy oliphant i have on my screen the happier i am yeah that wouldn't be a bad call or or i was thinking the other day Maybe even Mayfield, because I love the sort of dynamic they kind of had in that uh, penultimate episode, um, yeah. where he's sort of taking them, taking the Mickey out of him slightly here and there, but he also sort of came to help him, mm. and in the end they let him go, so they sort of came to respect each other a bit more as the episode progressed. So we don't know what's happened to him. So there's always a chance he could pop up again, even if it's only for a, an episode or two. That that could be fun. I like yeah. that. I think that's a really good shout. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm happy to see either of them. I think we've talked to them before. It's good to show people show up. Because there's nothing to say that uh, Boba Fett can't return. It has still been connected like, to Mando uh, and said that there'll be some crossover characters wise. I don't think that means that Mando himself will show up in Big Boba Fett, but it does mean that Fennec Sand or Boba can uh, return to Mando at some point. And, you know, Keith Carga as well, he can't just disappear. He only has one episode this season. Uh, Carl Weathers' character, I'd like to see him kind of take a bigger role if there's not going to be any Gina Carano around uh, in the next season. So, you know, I, I think they do leave the Cobb thing very open uh, with, you know, them saying, I hope our paths cross again. And I'm going to leave it at that. But talking of Boba Fett, you know, I'm not used to shows like this having a post-credit scene, so, you know, it's almost that kind of that expect it from an MCU movie, they don't expect it from Star Wars to have a post credit scene. And I think what's what's good about this is I believe in between episode 7 and 8 of this season, they had that announcement, the big announcement of all the Disney Plus stuff and all the Star Wars stuff, he had Ahsoka and everything come out. And I think a lot of people were confused that there wasn't anything to do with Bogotan or the other Mandalorians or anything to do with Boba in there. So I think everybody said, oh, there'll be in Mandalorian season And then they purposefully like left that off knowing that this episode was still to come out knowing that that scene that had probably been filmed a month prior was about to come out and like yeah. it, it really just had me like oh like i thought it meant oh i mean bob is going to be a villain in season three and then that pick a bow with that and i'm like yes i need i nearly missed that teaser trailer because i normally just switch off this is a credits club album but uh I went to make myself a drink and then I went back into the room and saw this little bit happen. I was like, ah, oh, that was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious about the fact that um, I think 
Boba Fett as, and Fennec together is going to be a really interesting um, series. The fact that John Favreau seemed to come out and say that it would be like the Mandalorian 2.5, I suddenly just wonder whether that will tend to turn out to be that it's a season of, yes, um, Boba growing his own uh, gang to some degrees, but maybe incorporating that Mandalorian element to it. And then by the end of that season, deciding that he will want to take the dark saber in order to take over Mandalore. And that's where it leads into season three with a possible civil war or something like that. Cause if you're going to have a season focused on Boba Fett and Fennec, and you were specifically referring to it as season 2.5, that would suggest that it's going to be a build up to come to fruition in season three. And I'm wondering whether that could possibly be what it is. Potentially, yeah. I think they also said they were going to give us some flashbacks to what Bo was up to, kind of worrying about the original trilogy, and also they would explain how he survived the Sarlacc pit. I know there have been books and comics in the extended universe explaining how he did it, but I don't think those were considered canon. So whatever they give us, whatever explanation they officially give us here in this show will be canon. So then if it's shite, then that might make you think, oh, well, Whatever happens, whatever they explain that happens when he got out of the Sarlacc pit, you can then have in your mind when you go back and watch his quote-unquote death in, uh, in episode six. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll see that filmed. I mean, it's out of drop, does he? Perhaps they could splice in some footage of when it happens at the end of, uh, you know, the beginning of uh, Return of the Jedi and then go on to, you know, the new footage of how he escapes, escapes mm-hmm. it like. I'm assuming it has to have something to do with his armor because you uh, several times in season two, you have this thing where they say that Beskar armor is so difficult to be broken. Like even the dark saber couldn't go through it. So then if you, if he ends up in this Sarlacc pit where uh, it's supposed he slowly digests you for a thousand years, the acid, the acid actually wouldn't come through the Beskar, so he can be alive for a longer period of time, and it's just finding the method to escape. That, to me, would seem to make the most sense. The only question then would be, how did he lose his armour? Yeah, so, yeah, I was going to say, somehow when he got out, he must have lost the armour, because it's like five years between the, the show and the, the film, and uh, he said, like, when we next see it, it's being bought off Jawas by, by Cobb Vanth. Mm. And Maybe once he escaped, he needed to take it off for some reason, and because he was near death, the Jawas found it or something. Could have been taken to a hospital or nursed back, and they had to remove the armor, and that ended up being lost or attacked or something like that. Yeah, and also I think, given that he's technically one of the clones, and the clones were, they say in the cartoons, show how they're specifically bred to be soldiers, they're bred for combat and everything, and also. Like their aging is kind of almost slowed down in a way, so like Boba doesn't look almost as old as you'd expect him to, given that he appeared in like he first appears in Attack of the Clones. So, like you gotta think his his something about his genetic him being a clone minds him like is what helps keep him alive even while he's been slowly digested inside the Sarlacc pit. So there's all sorts of ways I think they could go. It's interesting how they got behind it as explained in last episode that uh, sorry two episodes ago that. Like the main showrunners behind it are credited as John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez. So, mm. a very interesting dynamic there. I, I believe maybe Rodriguez will come in as director for a couple of episodes, whereas Favreau maybe handle the producing and the writing side of it. So, I'll be interested to see, like, 
what how it's similar to Mando, but also how it differs in a way. Actually, um, looking at the tie the timelines and how it works, I think he's probably about the looks about the right age for how we should be for Boba Fett. Because let's not forget, we see sort of Anakin as a young boy in um, the Phantom Menace, and then you know. He's Darth Vader as a man in Return of the Jedi, and this is only five years after that. I would take that Anakin slash Darth Vader would be around my age now, uh, by the time it was um, Return of the Jedi, you know, in his early 40s. So, um, Boba Fett's probably pushing the 50 yard, I would imagine. So, it's probably about right. Yeah, because it's weird because like it's ten years between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, and some so uh, Anakin's grown up, but Padme somehow looks exactly the same. Great and makeup. No- As a queen, she gets the best makeup, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and nobody ever really addresses that. Nobody addresses the age difference between Padme and Anakin. Yeah, she was grooming him. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm I'm quite curious not just to see the season three, but especially with the spin-offs that are coming to fruition. So obviously we've mentioned about um, the Boba Fett one. Um, I'm curious to hear what you guys think of the other ones. I'm, I'm quite excited for the other ones. I think because uh, before Mando and after Boba Fett is Obi-Wan. And that's one I'm really excited for. Because while you've had Jedi's, uh, Jedi Forces appear in Mando, I, I, I doubt we will get anybody who uses the Force appeared in uh, Boba Fett. I could be wrong, but you've got those shows, but these specific like, non-Force using characters, but then you've got shows like Ahsoka and Obi-Wan where you can then go back to what people think of and think hard, which is Jedi's, lightsabers, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I think there's a TV show they're doing called Andor, about uh, Cassian Andor, the character from Rogue One which is not a, a spin-off I ever asked to have. And then I think they announced that Forrest Whitaker's character would return for that show. So I think it's been set before Rogue One. But out of all, out of all of them, that's the one I'm, I don't really care that much about. Uh, I think there's one coming out called Visions, which is a bunch of like one-off stories, kind of like What If that Marvel are doing. I think from... Because well, I was looking into this, because I was curious about the spin-offs afterwards. Um, the Visions one sounds like it's basically going to be similar to... The Animatrix by the Wachowski sisters, where you basically get like 10 different anime episodes, each one um, a short film set in the Star Wars universe. And I, I'm curious to see how that would work, because if you think about the scope and the epic nature you can do w- with the animated shows they've already done, and then you've got an even more distinctive anime style for it. I think you could get some really amazing moments to appear, especially thinking I would love to see like an underwater one. Cause I feel like the, the little moments we got in episode one, fat and menace of being underneath the ocean, just instantly I was like, I want to see more. So I can't, that's one that I would love to see come out. Maybe something to, to do with that. You've got like the ice planets as well, obviously where they've had brief moments on it. I'd like to see them really utilize the anime style to really go over the top with something like, um, like a volcano planet or anything like that. Um, I want something a little bit 
really pushing the boundaries of what they could have because by having an anthology series, they don't need a set protagonist. They can literally just go, oh, I want to do something about this creature or this species on this type of planet and see what happens. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Carl, what about you? What kind of spin-offs are you kind of interested in? Yeah, uh, the main ones I'm interested in uh, in particular, the Ahsoka one. Um, I'm really excited to see where they go with that because I think we're going to see Ezra Bridger at some point, probably the season finale. Uh, definitely looks like we're going to see Grand Admiral Thrawn, so I'm looking forward to seeing him brought into live action. And, of course, obviously the Obi-Wan because we're going to get Ewan McGregor back mm-hmm. as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm really glad I don't live on Tatooine because that planet looks like it really age, really ages you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got like two suns. I, I can't handle the sun at the minute. I mean, it's like twenty-two <laughs> degrees in Glasgow at the minute, and I can't. You would handle just it. melt. I, I would. I would cease to be. <laughs> um, what is a question for you, Carl? As you're excited about um, the Ahsoka one, who do you think could play Grand Admiral Thrawn? Well, me and um, the Scott sort of discussed this ourselves didn't we and we had a few like lee pace was mentioned but i'd like to i'd see the actual person like, voiced him on uh, rebels like we got with uh, bo katan being eventually played by katie sackoff who voiced us and have um i forget his first name but uh mickelson um what's his first name safe oh, scott lars mickelson the brother isn't it lars. yeah yeah lars yeah, I'd like to see him play it. I think he'd be the right age, and I think as we saw with the voice, he it'd be it'd bring a nice familiarity to the character as well to have that that same voice. I mean, all you got to do is paint his face blue or green and put him in a white suit, and Bob's your uncle. Yeah, Fanny's your aunt. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I said to you, Carly, yeah, we were talking about the ideas. We were talking about. Uh, People could play him. Mean, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to most about it. is how Grand Admiral Thrawn looks in live action. Who will play him? Uh, one of the best fan casts I saw out there is uh, Jason Isaacs from uh, the Beatles, Lucius Malfoy, and the Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. As and, and like some people said, Benedict Cumberbatch, but that guy's in enough films as it is, or he's got enough on his plate right now. So you know he's already got Marvel and everything with Doctor Strange. So you know you never know. But uh, Jason Isaacs or Lee Pace, like. But, you know, it would be a nice bit of, you know, continuation to have, like you said, Lars, if he voiced them. Because also he'll provide the same voice as he did, and it will probably feel like Thrawn. I mean, let's face it, it'll probably be James Corden, but we, we can hope. Don't, don't. Don't make me want to stab <laughs> Grandma Admiral Thrawn, all right? Yeah, James, I w- James Corden would be the fucking Jar Jar Binks of a new generation, honestly. <laughs> but I prefer Jar Jar fucking Binks, because at least Jar Jar Binks is all over my freaking screen every day. Like, the, he was the worst part of the Friends reunion. If he could just shut up and fuck off, it would be amazing. Um, right, I'm gonna, I'm, I've just literally typed in casting Grand Admiral Thrawn to see if there are any ideas. And there's a couple they've got here that could be interesting that I'm going to throw out to you guys, okay? Michael Fassbender. Oh, yeah, that'd be actually quite cool. I I can't go with Michael Fassbender. I think he's so overrated. What? Yes. Scott has now been kicked out of the... uh... (laughs) He is, though. He's also part of one of the worst films I've ever watched in my life, that The Counselor. If you haven't seen it, don't watch it. 
Oh, to be fair, nobody was good in the councillor. Um, I mean, you've basically got Cameron Diaz humping a windshield. That's the sign that you should just walk away from this film. Oh, eh, read, read another one, please. I'm depressed now. <laughs> <laughs> you already mentioned Benedict Cumberbatch. The next one, Hugo Reaving. That I could see. I think he's got the yeah. hairline for it. Yeah, and he's got that, as we saw, playing... Agent Smith, that cold, calculating demeanour, which uh, Admiral Thrawn has as well. So, so that could actually work, to be fair. Mm. That that's one of the one I admit I love Michael Fassbender, but I think Hugo Weaving is so damn good um, that I would gladly see him in anything. Um, the next one I think is a, a definite no. I love the actor, but I think I don't think it's suited. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, yeah, no, I can't see. I mean, he's a fantastic actor, so he might be able to pull it off, but I, I can't see it. I think he's a bit too young as well. This is one that could be a good shout. John Hamm. Mm. Okay. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. It would be one of those, I think if he got Dougal Cathy, it would be one of those ones that people would question at the time, but he could end up being like a Michael Keaton or Heath Ledger kind of thing where it basically proves everybody wrong, but on paper, I'm kind of 50-50 on that one. Mm. Um, the next one you guys already mentioned was uh, Lee Pace. Mm-hmm. Um, interest, uh, interesting one here. Anthony Starr, the um, Lander. Uh, Homelander from The Boys. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I can't see him being a good... I love him in that. I love him as Homelander, but I, I can't see him in a good fit for Admiral Thrawn. Again, he might have the acting chops to pull it off, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't fit for me. Can I just say about Anthony Starr and Homelander? I remember the other day I was bored, and you could tell how bored I was because I started thinking if they made a film about the rise of VW, who would play who? I was all, I only started thinking about it because I thought I'd really love to see like current day Michael Keaton playing Don Callis. <laughs> uh, and then I thought, like, oh, Anthony Starr definitely has to play Cody. You know, they've both got the blonde hair. As <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and then Cody comes out at double or nothing, dressed as Homelander. <laughs> you obviously willed it into existence because of it. Just like you just conveyed it, and he went, "Do you know what? I'm the hero. I'd be really good as Homelander." Because obviously he mis he misread the TV show completely. No, but perhaps it was on purpose. I mean, it, it, I mean, perhaps that is his character. He thinks he's this all American hero, but really, from the people of looking from the outside in, he's completely the opposite. I mean, they really should have went the whole hall and just had Anthony Google come at his belly butcher to really keep it all. <laughs> like, I thought it was funny. So they have Cody announced as he, he is an expected father, like. Homelander was not a good father. He pushed his son off a roof to see if he could fly. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of an unexpected father. It's like, uh, well, what does he expect to happen if he doesn't put a glove on it? Bloody hell. Um, here's a random one for number one. And I'm not sure how it would work. Ian Glenn, who played Sir Jorah oh, yeah. in Game of Thrones. No, I could see him. I could see him pulling it off, actually. Yeah, I think he'd be pretty good in that role. He actually, well, we all know he's he's technically played Batman. He plays Bruce Wayne in that DC Titans show, but I don't think like in the show they've ever shown him as Batman. But he seems to play that role pretty well. But I, I, I wouldn't be against it. 
I have to second was the one that I found quite interesting. It was one of the ones that you guys were big on, Jason Isaacs. And I do feel like he, I have to admit, that's really selling it to me. I could see him doing it more than Ian Glenn. I just, something about Ian Glenn just doesn't ring true to me, I feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got my heart set on Lars Mickelson doing it personally, <laughs> but Disney might have other ideas. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the other ones that I'm, I've read about, which I'm curious to hear well, your guys' thoughts well, What about his on. brother? Because his brother put it off, do you think? Mads Mickelson. He's already been in. That's true, yeah, yeah. Well, put him in painted face blue, you'd never know. Shouldn't be greedy. He's already been in the MCU. He's played Hannibal Lecter and he's been in Star Wars. There's not, there's he's not now going to be in Harry together. Potter as well. He's probably going to be in Indiana Jones. He's probably going <laughs> to end up probably going to end up being in Fast and Furious Ten at this rate. Basically, <laughs> it, it, it is a franchise that this guy can go in. He will star in it. Uh, <laughs> he, was in he was in Bond before, but I think if he's really appearing in Fast and Furious, he must be desperate for the money. Well, to be fair, you could probably make a lot of money from it. I mean, it's not—it's not like it takes a lot of work. It's mainly right, sit in this car or stand at this table and point at people also driving cars, because that's basically what the villains in Fast and Furious seem to do. They so somehow dragged, they somehow dragged Helen Mirren of all people into Fast and Furious. Like, how? Money, dear boy. I'm imagining basically. <laughs> So, um, I mean, I I love Mads Mikkelsen. I'll gl I'll gladly watch him in anything, but I don't. I think it would be more likely to be Lars Mikkelsen out of the two, just because um, Lars has done the voice and Mads has already appeared as someone else. Um, but I I really want to see Grand Admiral Thorn start appearing, just because I've read some stuff about him, not the books, but I've read like um, in uh, details about him, and he just sounds like such a tremendous villain for people like um, uh, Mando to be facing and that sort of thing. That's why I'd love to see him appear in The Mandalorian as well as Ahsoka. You, you never know. I think Ahsoka Man and Mando are like in the same and a bit timeline kind of thing, as is like Book of Boba Fett, but obviously Pedro Pascal isn't really available right now. I think he's filming an adaptation of The Last of Us for HBO. So, which is why Mando's been part of the reason Mando's been delayed as long as it is. Mm. So, you know, I, I could see more likely when about the same as Soka actually comes out whenever that is, it'll be a bit more crossover there. If, if it's all happening around about the same kind of time. Uh, is there any other thoughts you guys have about the episode as a whole, or should we move into our ratings? Uh, no, I think I've covered everything I really want to talk about. Uh, Sam might have another 2,000 words left. but uh... <laughs> um, I will say that I think um, the, um, that the way um, they set up the episode was top quality work. The pacing of it was fantastic throughout, which I don't think has been given enough credit. Um, ha having it that you instantly join in the middle of a chase, you um, have it that you're already getting the characters brought in, and it feels like a really good tie-up tie of the two-season arc, because you've got characters who have been featured since the very first episode. Um one of the characters that I was going to ask you guys about, and specifically the actor behind them, was Cara Dune. In terms of like 
I was really looking forward to seeing her featured more often in the next season. But obviously, it turns out in real life, she's a fucking imbecile. Um, mm. Do you feel she's going to be a big loss at all to the series? I don't think she's going to be that big of a loss. And I mean, I think she was meant to be getting maybe not her own spin-off show, but she was going to be a major part in um, a spin-off show. So she might not have featured that much, uh, to be perfectly honest. So um, I did I did like the character. I still do. Obviously, I don't like... Not too fussed on the person portraying the character anymore, but uh, I don't think it'll be a massive loss. I think it'll help get more of a fresh start as well. I think you know you're not going to have any Grogu. They, they're going to need like we said a, a new MacGuffin for the series. So it'll be nice to introduce new some new characters. Yeah, I think it depends how they write it and what their plans really are. I don't think, like you said, like Carl said, that he was going to be a big part of the series if they had New Republic. And a planned that that show that she was going to be part of. You know, they could always recast her if they really feel like she's an integral part of the show. Because, you know, recasts happen all the time. I think people would understand why it would happen. But, you know, and hopefully this person could try and make mm. the character their own and make people forget about the person that previously played them and everything that happened in real life around it. One of the things I'm really nervous about is that I've seen so many TV shows that I like have a great season two and then have crap season threes. Dexter, Arrow, to name a few. So that makes me very nervous. For or, yeah, or even a crap season two. I mean, I remember watching uh, Heroes back in the day, and that had a really good story and a really good hook for the first um, series, but it only lasted for one series after that. They just couldn't recapture the magic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm early, that's why I kind of really worry about in regards to Mando going forward. So I haven't really given her didn't get that much thought because really, really when you think about it, if they chose to end Mando after two seasons, people will also be annoyed about it. But when you look, when you look at the ending, it feels like they wrapped everything up that they needed to. So it's pretty much a really solid ending. So that's why I'm so nervous about season three. Have they actually announced a season three for definite then? Yeah, I think they have. Yeah, they have. Because I'm just thinking, like, they, everyone, uh, I read supposedly that when they said about, like, the book of Boba Fett at the end of um, this episode, people were in say, like, oh, is that what season three is going to be called? And John Favreau had to come out and say, uh, no, it's uh, Mandalorian season 2.5. Um, but I don't know if he actually mentioned a season three. I think a season three is planned, but also they've had to delay it because, partly because of Pascal's shooting here, but also the same. As I said to Carl, okay, so on the same sound stage that they use for Mando is being used for both, uh, which wrapped up, and now that same stage is being currently used for Obi One. So, and like, there's actually quite a good uh, thing online where you've got a uh, Obi One and oh god, uh, Ewan McGregor and Pedro Pascal kind of chatting to each other about their careers and everything, and they talk about Star Wars quite a bit, and uh, they talk about the way that they shoot, uh, the, the stuff is put together, the worlds are created, and and like the new shows as compared to how. Yumiger talks about how towards the end you had all this stuff half the time is all in front of blue screens and green screens and it shows some footage of him and that wandering around him wandering with all this blue stuff around them all this curtains of stuff that's not really there because how much they really delve into the fucking CGI of that so yeah they are doing a season 3 but Pedro was very much hush as like but all he said was we haven't shot a season 3 but he also he, I don't think he's allowed to tell like wait officially say about a season 3 happened but I'm pretty sure at one point it was said like IMDb confirms the third season's happening, so 
If you can't trust IMDB, who can you trust? Probably the guy on the corner of the street who's been sucking helium all day. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's time we, we delve into our, our ratings. So it's, um, as opposed to how we do it on SmackDown, we're just basically doing a straight up out of 10 uh, for Mandalorian, even though it's just all the episode, it usually ranges higher in the higher range, but it's very rare to get a 10. So, Sam, as the guest, I'll let you go for Out of 10, what would your rating be for this episode? Um, if I take into everything into account, the pacing, the um, the setting, the sh- ca- camera shots, I mean, there are some shots involved which are such wonderful detail. Like, there's a shot I love where you've got um, Mando walking, sneaking onto the ship, and he's in this like gray hangar and you've just got all these white bodies around him and the contrast of color in that and this small gray figure in the middle i thought was excellent um i think the performances are top notch the emotion is really strong it's rewarding to the fans some great easter eggs included some some stories are completed some stories are now being set up the it does everything you want a season finale to do, and also it does. It could, to some degrees, be everything that a, ser- a series finale could be. You could literally finish this as season two, and it would be a complete story. Um, I, I do agree with the idea that not giving a ten because there's always going to be something missing or something you wish was included. But for me, I'm more than happy to go with an out and out nine. I think it was top quality entertainment. Um, it's perfect for both fans and non-fans. I find it very difficult to find a negative for this episode. And I think the only thing that I wish could have been was that maybe there was a little bit more involved just because I want to spend more time with it. But that's just because I'm a greedy cunt. So I'm going to go with nine out of ten. Yeah, I said uh, it's very rare we get we give tens because there's some things always something nitpick. I think we have given a ten in the past. I think uh, Ahsoka got a ten. Uh, but Carl, is this going to be a different time? What are you going to give uh, this season finale, the the rescue as it's called? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to echo a lot of what Sam said. Uh, you know, the episode is perfectly paced. It's well structured. Uh, I like the way they bring you into the action straight away from the start with the the chase. Um, I love the fact um, we see uh, a tornado DDT assisted by a, a jetpack, and uh, the way it ends as well. You know, it was a really emotional end. It it felt earned. Uh, the emotion as well of uh, Grogu and um, Mando having to say goodbye. And the way it, as we've discussed throughout this part, there's so many possibilities for the way uh, season three. Uh, can spin off onto um, what sort of things they can use for other series like the Book of Boba Fett. So for me, I'm not going to rate it out of 10. For me, it's six and a half stars at the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> <laughs> Love that's, it. That's pretty much it. I believe I, I can interpret that as pretty much as a 10 from Carol. But yeah. I think I'm going to echo your sentiments. I'm going to give this a 10 as well because as what you want from a season finale. They set a high standard for season finale because season one's finale was solid as well, but this one improved upon it. As you guys said, a really high bar when we get to the season three finale when that eventually comes. So I, I gotta give it a time because like episode seven didn't have really that much filler, but anything that would be considered filler, everything all that taken care of in that episode, which perfectly set you up 
to go right into the action for this episode and everything was just go, go, go and got you where you need to be for that emotional and then even tease you for expanding this already solid universe we've got with a new show a bit Boba Fett and giving you more of his character which made up the fact that I was originally just annoyed that this character just disappeared after they caused that distraction and get them onto the ship and they just buggers off I'm like oh well that's 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 a bit like and then he, and then he showed up later on I'm like did he did he have to circle back to get Fennec Shand to pick her up later on <laughs> or whatever I don't know but it, it's definitely a Ted from me and uh, Carl let's uh that's all the Mandalorian we have for now. Uh, it, it is, yeah. Um, but we do, are we going to make our announcement on our on our new pod, Scott? I, I I think I think it's best, yeah, because you know I I don't think it's right that we just like bugger off until we, the day that we it finally comes to the ring. The church bell says season three is here, but uh, I really think uh, we should keep this going, and uh, we're going to be. How would you describe what we've got planned for this new pod, girl? Um, well, it's almost like we said before, a, a ride through the, the almost a Disneyverse. We're going to be looking into all the you know, all the other well, all the other Star Wars spin-off uh, series we're going to be interested in. We're definitely planning to look at the Bad Batch at some point. Uh, we're definitely look look at some of the Marvel ones, Loki. Uh, we're planning on doing a pod on. Them. Um and other one-off episodes as well. Like um, we're going to rank our favourite Star Wars movies from worst to best, which should be a very interesting podcast when we get round to doing that. Mm-hmm. It's very much you know, very much pop culture, Star Wars, Marvel, everything what we enjoy talking about while we wait for for Mando to return. Uh, I believe the next episode we do whenever that is is going to be that Marvel thing because it's also going to include some TV shows as well which I think, I wonder, I'm very interested to wonder where on both our list Mando will end up now that we've been on this journey so far. I don't think the Bad Batch should be included obviously in that ranking as it's currently happening, it wouldn't be fair. Uh, but basically part of this idea for that list is that list that Cody Rhodes put like a year or so ago that was very, very wrong. Uh, and so we're going to have our own opinions on that. And then somewhere, and after that, Loki should be wrapped up. So maybe we'll delve into that as a, a little break from Star Wars before we return to uh, the Bad Batch. But girl, I think the best thing, it's most exciting, is uh, we're keeping the gimmick alive by uh, a little bit of a rebrand, as it were, or a repilot of sorts. As we're not going to be called the Mandalorian Pod anymore, are we? No, we're not. We're, we're, as I say, we're keeping the gimmick alive. We're keeping the train going. As we rebrand ourselves, are you going to reveal it or shall I? Uh, oh, I don't know. I want to do it, but I wouldn't want to take that moment away from you. Hey, <laughs> should I do some drums and you both announce it at the same time? Okay, yeah, let's do it at the same time, okay? okay Drum roll, so. please. On three. Three, two, two one. Padding ain't easy. easy. Yeah, we should have rehearsed that. That wasn't yeah. easy. That was very, very see? hard. That, that, that's that exactly, you see. <laughs> so, did I hear it right? It was parting ain't easy. Podding. That's in a riff from pimping ain't easy, you see. Yeah, you definitely need to plan that better. <laughs> <laughs> see, that went exactly as it probably should have. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a brand new 
we're going to keep this going as a brand new weekly show here on Rogan Pines Pod and easy with myself and Carl going through, like I said, Star Wars, Marvel, and the occasional one-off episode, depending on what it is we are interested in. So yeah, next time we're going to be ranking all uh, our, all of the Star Wars kind of TV and film in order uh, for we think it's the worst up to the best. I'm sure that'll be interesting. No difference of opinions in some respects. Where is Mando going to end up in there? We don't know. That's probably going to be a list that give it three years, five years. We're going to have to completely redo it because they're going to be like, God knows how many different versions, even TV shows and films out by then because Star Wars will never go away. And <laughs> to an extent, neither will we. And maybe we'll have on guests like Sam and whoever else in the future uh, as and when appropriate. But uh, Carl, I'm very excited to continue this journey with you. Yeah, same, exactly. Um, you know, this is a part I want to continue doing, not one I've been forced to by blackmail by a Liam Hall, for example. <laughs> and, I, and unlike anybody else, I would not cast you aside to record a podcast with about a feral animal in the title. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been fun to do, and it's also been fun to have Sam on the show. And looking at the how long we've been here, We've not went that as long as I thought. We've not that much over uh, our longest episode, so we've not even cracked two hours, which is you know startling to me. We've managed to restrain him. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty much with a uh, tape and um, a mask at points just to keep me quiet. But uh, I unveiled my mask once, and therefore I now have to wait for the next time where I may keep it off more often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can keep it off uh, in our next episode of Rogue Retro Smackdown, which we hope to have recorded uh, sometime soon. That's going to be a long one, because I've just watched, not long ago at time recording, watched some of the Raw from the episode before, and there's going to be a lot to talk about from there. So that's going to be a long episode. So if you've not got your fellow Sam, then you got to stay tuned for that. But Sam, other than, you know, appearing on podcasts like this with your your hot takes about Star Wars and your long notes that, you, we, that we usually talk about on Rogue Retro Smackdown, what else have you got going on that people might be interested in? Um, so mainly at the moment, I'm focusing on articles for WrestleJoy, um, where I'm continuing looking at uh, CM Punk's um, 430-odd day uh, reign as WWE champion. I've just focused on his time with um, Daniel Bryan, Kane, and AJ Lee, um, which I have to admit was a very interesting time to go back over. Um, and I've also just completed the second part of the Shinsuke Nakamura um, retrospective, looking at his time as Intercontinental Champion in uh, New Japan. And I might start preparing uh, for a Lucha Underground and a TNA series. Mm. Ooh, very interesting. Mm. Interesting indeed. And uh, Sam will also be involved in other uh, podcasts sometime in the future, uh, wrestling related or otherwise. Depends. I'm pretty sure we got to get you on on Master Debaters at some point after you know your your performance in the debate on Reen's live stream. Because while we were doing this podcast, I had a an idea for a future Master Debaters episode, or at least a debate we could use in a future Master Debaters that needs to be discussed. And I'm going to keep it to myself, you know, as blackmail to get Nathan to twist Nathan's arms and get. Yeah, now there are fucking master debaters to be done because they're, they're done too infrequently. But thank you again, Sam. Uh, Carl, other than 
you know, podcast that you do with me, which, you know, are probably the best stuff that you do on this lovely podcast. What other what other things do you do that people won't be interested in? Oh, I do um, Rogue Chronicles, where um, we look at popular villains from uh, movies, comics, and other forms of medium, uh, books, for instance. Uh, one out is uh, one on Dr. Hannibal Lecter, which myself and Liam recorded with Nathan, so uh, that's definitely worth checking out. And there's one in the pipeline, which will be coming out probably in a... Um, probably a month or so, because we, we started releasing them bi-weekly again, uh, with Scott, uh, where we talk about Thanos. So that would be well worth checking out when, when that does come out. Um, and and that's our scale, because of, of work and other things, I have scaled back my pods at the moment. So other than a, a quiz I did recently with Liam, which is kind of a spoof quiz, which is quite hilarious, even if I do say so myself. That's definitely worth checking out. And also articles that we put on uh, our website, which is uh, rogueopinions20.wordpress.com. Uh, and I'd love to put myself forward to be a guest on Retro Smackdown if you, uh, for one of your pay-per-views, because I remember watching them back in the day. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I was certainly after the period. I think we were, were covering not too long after, but I, I remember some pay-per-views better than others. Like weirdly, I, I do. I remember having a random tape of Armageddon '99 and I like tape of King of the Ring 2000. But I watched the Armageddon one after watching King of the Ring 2000. So I was somehow still shocked by the swerve of Stephanie and Triple H getting together, even though they appeared together at King of the Ring. Oh, also, I think I'm due to guest on a good one after the the ones I did end up guesting on. No mercy and quite a poor Survivor series. Oh, well, you poor bastard! Well, I'm due to the short list of potential guests for a backlash. How about that? I had to. I had to. Yeah, thank you. I had to. I had to sit through um, fabulous Mueller versus Ivory Sam. Oh it was like God. two people trying to wade through treacle. Wow, to be fair, you didn't have to watch Terry Runnels versus the cat in a cat fight, which was, quite frankly, the least likely match that should ever appear on WrestleMania, and that includes anything featuring Vince McMahon. <laughs> I mean, neither, but yeah, but neither of you had to sit through four women wrestling for the women's title in a pool, which I did at Armageddon, so... Neither of you were there at the beginning of Unforgiven where I had to cover Kennel from Hell, so, you know, shut up, both of you. Kennel, Kennel oh. from Hell is one of those matches that's so good. No, I mean, so bad, <laughs> it's good. Especially if you've got the um, a special version like I have where Kevin, I think it's Kevin Kelly and Mick Foley do, like, tongue-in-cheek special edition commentary for it. <laughs> Oh, I kind of, I wish, I hope they do, they do it in the style of like, if they were watching Wrestle Kingdom or something like that, giving it a real level of importance and gravitas and you go, guys, you're just watching um, two dogs humping in between two cages while two men are stood on top of the cage going, that's not what was supposed to happen. Well, they're basically saying, like, oh, look at those dogs, they're so fierce and scary as they're just... Padding around the ring, shitting and pissing everywhere. <laughs> uh, but you also uh, 
find me on Twitter. It's got McLeod nineteen ninety. I was gonna say I forgot to ask where both of you can be found on Twitter, didn't I? Oh, I just assumed you didn't want to know anymore. <laughs> just uh, you, we've come, we've done our job, and now you're like, well, you can both just fuck off, and I don't want anyone to find you. They can only pay attention to me. He, he just wants to know where he can DM his dick pics. Sam, don't do it. <laughs> <sighs> So I kept, I kept on thinking that was something flashing, but to be fair, I've used it for several months, so I wouldn't know. Okay, fuck it. Don't, don't follow either of them. Fuck them. <laughs> you, can't make, you can follow me, it's got my phone. You can follow Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions on, on, Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter. You are fucking distracting me. Uh, Rogue Red Smart Interview. Uh, continue to listen to Podden and Easy as it goes forward. And uh, you can also tune in to it might be just before, or maybe just about to come out. Uh, my new podcast, No Rogues Bard, uh, where I obviously be interviewing every member of the Rogue Opinions team, getting to know, you know who are they, what do they want. You'll get to know uh, exactly what, and I'm sure both of these guys at some point will be on the show, a varying length of episodes. And my first, the first episode is, is should be out now, or just about to come out uh, with Nathan Greenaway and a. Uh, a really good chat I have with with Nathan. You know, we sit down. He he opens his heart to me, uh, and thankfully doesn't send me any dick pics this time around. <laughs> but uh, and, and if you're really that intrigued to know about us all, perhaps you should go away and reevaluate your lives. <laughs> <laughs> Think to yourself, why? How did I get to this part of my life? I regret every decision that led me here. You're, you're like Obi Wan in that bar scene uh, at Attack of the Clones. You don't want to listen to this podcast. You want to go home and rethink your life. <laughs> Although that's pretty much everyone who's just listened to this one. <laughs> but do check it out. No, it's actually quite interesting, you know, uh, to hear me and Nathan chat, you know, and pretend we actually get along for a while. But until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Sam is the, the guest since we did it for or Daniel last week. We should ask Sam, uh, what should we play out with for this episode? Oh, oh, that is a that is a good question. Um, oh, maybe sweet child of mine. Seeing as we've now lost the child, so <laughs> that I feel that would be quite appropriate because it would just be a sad, sad situation. Well, a uh, really a great song as well. So you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I I just associate that song with the wrestler because he comes out <laughs> at the end. <laughs> You know, each to their own. Uh, thank you, Sam, for joining. Thank you, Carl, as always, and thank you all for listening to us. And remember, above all, that this, even though I don't even think we'll be able to see this for much longer, but uh, do remember, above all, that this is the way. Yeah, and goodbye, everybody, and don't forget to check out Pardon Ain't Easy Web We Debut. I have spoken. Mm-hmm.